0: Welcome to the Ground Game Podcast. I'm your host, Bushido Squirrel, and today we're talking criminal legal system reforms uh, with Ace Katana, public defender and Ground Game team member. How are you doing today, Ace? Good to be here. So we've got a lot to go over, so we're just going to jump right in. Let's talk about Proposition (laughs) 63.
1: Okay, so we should just start off with, this has been an incredibly busy year for criminal justice reform all throughout the legislative season. Uh, A lot of things have been uh, passed. A lot of things were uh, passed by voters, passed by the legislature, signed into law, Um, So there's a lot of stuff to go over, really, in a very short amount of time. And the rules have been changing left and right. So a lot of a lot of the changes have been really good. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of bills were passed that really, uh, you know, move California towards having a more uh, rational and just understanding of criminal law. Uh, (laughs) The uh, one thing people don't realize a lot of the time, because we think of California so liberal uh, is that California's criminal justice system has some of the most uh, res- just harsh punishments across any state in America? Well, we we're kind of the home of three strikes and where that whole movement started from and kind of right. gained traction on a national level. Right. And you, and you look at some of the laws that were put in place: three strikes, gun enhancements, gang enhancements. There's a lot of stuff that was picked up by other states uh, and other other areas, and. What those result in are insanely long sentences for uh, for offenses in California. If there's a gun involved, a lot of the time you're looking at life in prison, n- regardless of whether anybody was uh, killed or not, and regardless of whether you were holding the gun. Sometimes, yeah, that's an, that's another thing. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, cool. So let's. Why don't we start with uh, out of the things that were passed like most recently, uh, we get we have AB 1541 that was passed. This is something that's. Uh, I think, important, but only uh, daily relevant to people like me. It has to do with the right to uh, voir dire a jury, which is, to say, the questions that you're asking a jury when they're being impaneled. Um, and it's, uh, what, what happens sometimes is you wind up with judges who try to cut the questioning short or really limit the scope of it, which can lead to biased jurors getting on or things not getting fully explored that ought to be. So that what that bill does, it's, it, it clarifies some of the, the rights that we have or that the accused has to uh, question jurors. And uh, I think really takes away some of the uh, the ability of a judge to just shut things down, mm-hmm. which especially you especially see that in a misdemeanor court. Sometimes a judge will limit uh, questioning of the jury to like 10 or 15 minutes mm-hmm. for a panel of 30 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it gets exciting, uh, so that's an interesting one. Another one that's mostly relevant to my practice as a public defender is SB three fifty five, and this what this does is it prohibits the court from imposing jury uh, imposing court costs or attorneys fees on a defendant who's acquitted. Now this is one of those things that people don't realize happens and is extremely fucked up uh i have had on some occasions i've had a client who's been acquitted at trial the jury says no they didn't do anything wrong obviously let them go and the court still puts uh court fees on them like $1000 for my supposedly free service and obviously i don't get to see any of that right <laughs> where where is that money going it just goes back into the court system into okay. the uh into the county's pockets okay so it's nonsense and now they've banned that they can can no longer impose those if somebody's Uh, acquitted at trial, which makes a lot of sense. So
0: for like folks who might like get a ticket or a citation and go in and pay off that fine but still accrue court fees through that process, like people I know who get like a a, a ticket for running a stop sign on a bike, uh, does this eliminate court fees for them or it's only people who go through the trial process? This
1: is specifically for people who are acquitted at trial. So if you are paying off a ticket or something like that, you're obviously not being acquitted. You're Mm -hmm. paying for it. The, The way court fees are structured in California is really bizarre. Um, just across the board, it's really weird. If you see, like, a normal fine is the base fine, and then there are fees and multipliers and and, and extra costs and so forth, and it usually winds up being five to ten times what that base fine was yeah. listed as, which creates really bizarre incentives. Yeah. Like, who the hell, you know, a lot of people are able to pay off a $300 fine. Not a lot of people are able to pay off a $1,500 fine.
0: I've even heard stories like traffic Traffic court obviously operates a little bit differently, but people get a fix-it ticket and then go to the judge and prove like, hey, I fixed it, but still find that the fees that they're paying are about equal to the fine that they would have been paying had they been found non-compliant. Um, and that's something that like weighs on a lot of people, because again, you, know, you get a ticket and you figure, oh, I can pay that off, but you don't calculate twice those costs in just fees that you can never get back and never appeal.
1: Right, that's nuts. We really need to take more steps across the board to uh, reform and rationalize the sort of system of uh, fees and enhancements that we have, because really, it 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 stops making sense. They add all these fees because they think they need to uh, get more money out of people or pay for this or that part of the system. But what happens is, if you raise the fees too high, nobody can pay it, and nobody pays it off. The people wind up doing jail time or doing community service instead, pretty much across the board. Like I never have clients who are paying off their fines; they're figuring out some other way to do it. Because if you're talking two thousand, three thousand dollars that's a that's a lot of money, yeah you know so. yeah definitely and and it it also like l
0: a has been closing courts, and I know there's some plans to reopen them, but it seems weird that fees keep going up, and yet our courts are not
1: operating at as high a capacity as they were a decade ago, oh yeah, i mean the the amount of things <laughs> if you think about it not not only are they opening courts, they're also having to figure out what to do with the old ones they have mm. um, the courthouse I work out of right now is Going to be undergoing some asbestos mitigation in a couple weeks, uh, and you know, but a lot of a lot of the courts in LA are actually in real remarkable states of disrepair. The, have you ever been to uh, 210 West Temple? I, I've been lucky to never have okay. to step foot in a courtroom. So the, <laughs> so oh, it's fun sometimes if it's not you. Uh, the the main criminal courthouse in Los Angeles at 210 West Temple has no potable water. Whoa! In the 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 the. the Drinking faucets or the uh, uh, drinking fountains are all turned off there's n- no potable water the attorneys get together and get uh the you know water coolers and wow. get water delivered yeah there and and that yeah it's a lot of a lot of stuff and there was a list that came out a while ago which was Courthouses that are at risk of collapse in the event of a major earthquake, and it was all of them. Oh God! So, <laughs> including the one I'm at right now, which is just one story tall. So it's like it's obviously so badly built that even though it's one story tall, the whole thing's gonna fall over in the, if there's an earthquake. So we gotta we gotta do some fixes around there. Right? Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. So let's let's move on to talk about some enhancements that were passed okay. by the legislature. Okay, so this is this is interesting because remember what I was saying earlier about uh, the sort of enhancements that they tack onto charges to kick up the add five years here, 10 years here and all this stuff. Um, What they just passed was a series of laws that make it uh, make some of those discretionary. Um, So before, if somebody had a previous strike, there would be a mandatory five year uh, penalty tacked on to another second strike. So that might be somebody like they have a robbery on their record. They get another robbery. Then instead of a minimum of two years, it's a minimum of seven years. And this only applies to crimes of the same level or like any
0: crime that you might get accused of? Of, you know, approximately the same level. Okay. Right. So, so like if I have a robbery
1: charge, I'm not catching five years for jaywalking, but I would for maybe an assault. Right. Okay. Exactly. The, the, the way things are stacked, you know, the, it's part of that three strikes uh, paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. And that just increases sentences across the board really dramatically. Uh, so some of this is like walking that back and mm-hmm. they're kind of doing it piecemeal. They can't just sit down and say, we need to actually undo this whole thing. They're, you know, what they always do in California is they do these little half measures that sort of take away part of it. For example, um, the they have uh, double time in county jail. They didn't pass a rule that just changed the maximums or sentencing recommendations for misdemeanor offenses, they just passed the law that says, a day in county jail. Or actually, it's two days in county jail count as two days. Two extra days. Oh, uh, okay. So if two you, days is four days. Right. Two days is four days. One day is not, like three days is not six days. Three days is five days. But such four a, days. They, and so you, it's just such a weird fix. Like it's just
0: incredibly. Send people to jail for less long. Don't do new math.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's one of those things that they do sometimes because they don't necessarily have the political will to actually make a concrete and clear reform, mm-hmm. so they do these weird little things around the edges, or like you know, put it in in a different way. So with with SB thirteen ninety three, uh, who's the discretion with? Is it with the prosecutor or with the judge? Uh, it's with the judge. Okay. So a judge can. That means like a judge can look at somebody's. It's and it is discretionary, but it means that a judge can look at somebody's record and say, well, that was you know ten years ago. So even though you're getting this new thing, that was so far removed, or you know, this offense was not. While uh, while counting as a robbery or whatever, counting in this serious class, the facts weren't as severe. It's not like you beat up an old man and took his wallet. you were tackled by a clerk while stealing a case of beer. yeah yeah and so the the well, I'll make the decision to strike that enhancement so somebody would do the normal amount of time rather than the enhanced amount of time.
0: okay, that makes sense.
1: Um, similarly, they also uh, now have the the other enhancements that have been removed. One is the drug sales enhancement has been removed. This was something that they basically would just use to, this was a big part of the war on drugs and targeting uh, poor addicts who are also selling, targeting communities of color, where if you had a prior for drug sales, it would stack three years, mm-hmm. and stack three years, and stack three years. And, and,
0: that, and this was SB 620?
1: Uh, that's uh, SB 180, actually. 180. Um, 620 is about gun enhancements. Mm. Gun enhancements in California, Th- this also gives the judge discretion to strike them uh, strike them off if he wants to. Um, you know, the, the situation was such that you would wind up with somebody, you could have somebody, uh, an example that was given uh, recently was that you, if you had somebody who used an unloaded gun in a robbery with no criminal record, they'd be looking at 12 years mm-hmm. minimum yeah because of these gun enhancements, so now the judge has the authority to choose to disregard those if he finds reason
0: just like you're asking, in your experience as a trial lawyer, um, how do judges generally take these discretionary uh, measures do they are they generally on the side of doing uh, of uh, sentencing someone to less time or do they tend to like always try and go for the maximum?
1: It depends who what judge you're in front of, and it depends what your um, what your situation is. Some, some mm-hmm. judges are just out there to fuck people. Ah, uh, okay. You know, and some, some, jurisdictions are, some jurisdictions are much worse than others. It, 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 one of the things about that people forget about this whole system is as rational as it's supposed to be or how law-based is it supposed to be. The, the, <coughs> the courtroom you wind up in makes a huge difference as to what happens to you. Yeah. If you're in one jurisdiction rather than another or even across the hall sometime, you can have a totally different result.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of, like, personal preference and just sort of the way somebody's feeling or thinking on a day or, like, their prior experiences that you can't really, like, ever iron out of that system. So, like, there's going to be some personality that enters into it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, just on the obvious level, the, you know, at some point somebody went in front of, front of Judge Sotomayor, and at some point somebody went in front of Judge Kavanaugh. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we we know that these people are going to give very different results, and that's, like, how things have happened.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay, so now uh, a B 1437 and this was a really big and somewhat controversial one because it it uh, has to do with felony murder. And before this law uh, was passed by the legislature, there was a case out of uh, the South Bay where a young white guy uh, was let off of felony murder charges. Um, And that kind of became a weird point of of kind of argumentation against people who were arguing both ways on this. Because felony murder tends to catch up young people of color much more than it does, like, rich white guys. Yeah,
1: that was a particularly weird circumstance, actually. Uh, My friend's husband was the defense attorney on that that case. Um, That was a particular one where a young rich white man was accused of acting as the getaway driver in a gang murder. Mm -hmm. Um, So how the felony murder rule works is, is... uh, this is one of those things that they teach you about in law school and everybody says, wait, what the fuck? What's happening there? That doesn't really make sense. The felony murder rule is a rule that uh, if you're involved in the commission of a felony and somebody, somebody dies, you can be convicted of murder yeah. as though you had premeditatedly killed someone. And this has proven to be very elastic in prosecutors' minds, where they
0: charge people who weren't even like necessarily there when the crime was committed, but may have aided and abetted after the fact with or without knowledge of the crime. Like It seems like it's gotten a lot of use by prosecutors to get people into plea deals and get them sent to jail.
1: Right. It's something that's been very elastic for them. It's been something that's very often used to coerce uh, cooperation from potential witnesses. Um, it's something that's used to Basically, used for purposes of like racist genocide to like get okay. Instead of getting one person, they'll get five people, and you know the the, it's very clear how it's being how it's been employed. I mean, you've had circumstances in some places where uh, a person has been charged with felony murder because a cop shot their accomplice. That makes a lot of sense, unfortunately. So, so and so now they're being charged with murder because a cop killed their accomplice, which, you know, obviously is not uh, in the, you know, it's, it's one of the things that you talk about it and it starts sounding really bizarre, and yeah. unless you unless you look at it from the lens of the purpose of this law is to put away as many black and brown people as possible. So how did they change it? So they actually they changed the law so that now the, the felony murder rule is essentially is only employed when somebody is actively involved in the action that leads to the death, or if they're doing something with the intent that a, a death occurs. So you could have a situation maybe where through gross negligence in the commission of a burglary or something like that, somebody's, somebody's killed. But it, it takes away this situation of just charging uh, accomplices at random. Yeah, anyone who could be connected
0: to the crime will no longer necessarily be facing like felony murder charges. They have to be much more directly uh, involved in the death or the commission of that felony.
1: Right. Cool. Um, and then, additionally, I mean, like the particulars get a little more complicated, but mm. you know, that's the, the basic it, outline. Broad stroke.
0: So it's it it's very much reforming this law to make it harder for prosecutors to use this as like a, a sledgehammer against people they're charging.
1: Exactly. They have to be actually involved, essentially, or have the actual. Desire to cause injury or death to a person, right? Um, Then the the big thing about the the interesting part about it actually is that it's also retroactive, so it applies. So it allows for some people to seek reductions to their sentence or other forms of relief who have been serving prison sentences due to a felony murder conviction.
0: For that kind of process, um, is that easy for people to access once they're in? Do they have access to, like, lawyers or counsel that would help them make those appeals? Or what do you think that's going to look like for somebody who's currently wanting to fight those charges?
1: It's going to be sl- it's going to be a slow process. It's not—people aren't just going to get, you know, sprung left and right. My office has an appeals unit that deals with these sort of—especially with these sort of reforms, the Prop 47 reforms, the felony murder reforms, the resentencing for— uh weed related offenses, all these sort of post-conviction things where we can get people's sentences reduced or uh, get things, get them the relief that's passed in the law. But it is a slow process. You know, it. one of the things that's always there's always this scaremongering around. Oh, we're going to be releasing criminals into the into the, the, our communities. You're going to be slowly releasing some people who are n- not guilty of the thing you're saying they were guilty of. Over the course of several years, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a the fear mongering is absolutely ridiculous.
0: And also, a lot of these folks have been in jail for quite a while because felony murder carries an incredibly long sentence with it.
1: Oh yeah, if you're if you're convicted of murder under felony murder rule, you're probably in jail for life. Yeah, yeah. probably.
0: Uh, okay, cool. So uh, the next reform I want to talk about was a really big one. Uh, Jerry Brown waited until the 11th hour to actually sign it. But uh, SB 1421, which has to do with transparency and police records. Yes. SB
1: 1421 is uh, a huge deal for everybody in, in my line of work, everybody who's been trying to get more uh, transparency and accountability from police. I know that uh, Black Lives Matter sponsored SB 1421, and that was like their first... Uh, exercise in legislative power in California. And so that was wonderful that that succeeded. Well, and it says a lot that they're able to
0: convince somebody in the assembly to write and back and sponsor
1: this bill. And they've
0: got enough political like uh, presence now that people take them seriously and understand these aren't just like weird road, rogue radicals. These are like very dedicated and knowledgeable activists who are trying to
1: get stuff passed. Absolutely. And it's also interesting to remember that the Well, California has these had these incredibly restrictive rules on the release of police records, the most restrictive in the nation, uh, to the point where it was almost impossible to get access to anything, even if it had been sustained as misconduct by the department. And if you had a constitutional right to get it, you know, I I have a constitutional right to get stuff for my clients. Uh, A lot of times it was impossible to get literally anything. I mean, there was one occasion where I filed a motion to get records. All I got was the name of the police chief for the department because the police chief was the person who initiated the complaint against the officer and obvious, and that was all, all I got. I mean it <laughs> also seems like this is where we get that list of like
0: 300 bad officers in the sheriff's office that like they know about and the top brass has all their info but won't release to anyone like that's how these officers are able to stay on the job despite years of like malfeasance.
1: Right and that those 300 you know some of them are going to find their names in the papers very soon mm-hmm. because a lot of their sustained misconduct. You know, the the sheriff's department isn't just putting people on that list because they are, you know, actually doing things bad. they are people who are getting caught and having being disciplined. You know, because if, if otherwise it doesn't come to the attention of the sheriff's department. So a lot of those folks are going to find their names in the papers very soon. So uh, with fourteen twenty one, is this just
0: an open field day? Like, there's going to be a LinkedIn for bad cops I can go surf for? Are there like restrictions on what they're going to be releasing?
1: So what they're releasing specifically is around. Uh, Records relating to shootings or uses of force by use of force incidents by the police. Well, records relating to any sort of sexual misconduct or sexual assault, which includes actually certain sorts of consensual but improper conduct. So Mm -hmm. like... If somebody, you know, part of that, I think, has to do with those incidents with, like, the cadet programs. Oh, that, yeah, the really ago. bad
0: one that's, like, resulted in one sexual assault conviction against an LAPD officer in several disciplines for just, like, not guarding the keys to SWAT car, or to yeah, squad like,
1: cars and, like, terrible stuff. Right. And so, like, those things are going to be open and also any sustained findings regarding uh, fabrication of reports, lying, mm-hmm. that sort of behavior. So it's not just an open field, um, but it is going to be a lot of stuff that comes out. Uh, and it is going to result in a lot of pressure on these departments to do something about some of these fucking officers. Do you think this is going to make your life easier when you're putting police officers on the stand and you you have access to more information? I, I think it's going to make my life easier. I think it's also going to actually change the way that things are charged by the prosecutors.
0: Oh, okay. because
1: Because prosecu- if the prosecutor knows that an officer has previous sustained misconduct for falsifying police reports or lying on the stand or something like that which you think would normally get a person sent to jail but like they're officers so different rules apply I suppose if a, if a DA knows that an officer has these uh these issues this this background they're going to hesitate before charging something based simply on the word of that officer because that officer is going to get on the stand to testify and I'm going to have the sustained finding that he lied under oath, right? And it, you know, they don't want to subject themselves to that sort of situation. That that, that might wind up putting the officer in another bad situation. Mm-hmm. It might wind up making them look like an idiot. Yeah. So it, that sort of information being available, you know, has the effect of just changing the basic uh, incentives mm-hmm. around charging a crime. So, I, I think that's an. A, true positive. And a last question before we move
0: on. Do you think it's going to change day to day on the ground policing? Do you think cops are aware of this law? Do you think
1: they've oh, been thinking about it? They're very aware of the law. They're very, you know, the, this was strenuously opposed by all the police unions and all the DA's offices, which is, you'd think the DA's office would want more information, But that's not actually necessarily what they're about. Yeah,
0: well, and and Black Lives Matter pointed out, like, the night before the vote, uh, the police union started giving out $4,400 contributions to assembly members, trying to get them to flip their vote. And then that got discovered and publicized, and a lot of those votes ended up flipping back to yes. But, like, there was a real, like, behind-closed-doors knife fight to get this just, A, voted on and B, passed.
1: Yeah, it was extremely, you know, if if you were involved in making those calls or you know yelling at your representatives like that night was really stressful it was a real question of whether or not it was going to get through and it was a real question of whether or not the governor was going to sign it though it turns out he was just waiting to the last possible moment to sign i think he did 180 bills on the last day
0: yeah i mean like that and uh, sb 822 the net neutrality like he waited on the controversial bills um which was weird because he signed some big ones like the um uh you know, uh, fossil fuel uh, or rather the renewable energy one by 2045, uh, which he said he was going to veto because they didn't pass his regional power grid. So Jerry Brown called like a couple of audibles towards the end of his term here that were a bit surprising.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, unexpected. I mean, and some of his vetoes were particularly uh, egregious. Yeah. The one relating to uh, availability, abortion access at colleges. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah, and that's like unjustifiably fucked up. There's no basis for that shit. Yeah, so a bit of a,
0: a bit of a mixed bag here as he you know finally leaves his second term as governor.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, 1421 is kind of ironic also because he was the one who signed into law a lot of the protections of police records in the first place. Back in the 70s. Yeah. So this is. Coming full circle and undoing some of the some of the harm he originally did.
0: I like that we're making Jerry Brown undo some of his own legacy.
1: Yeah. Uh, moving <laughs> on to uh, SB three ninety three. So this is about sealing records, I believe, for juveniles. Uh, this is actually for anybody. This is. Oh, okay. For, this is for sealing arrest records when mm. there wasn't a conviction. Oh, okay. Uh, so this this will be fun for a lot of activists who, you know, as soon as the statute of limitation runs out on that protest arrest, you can get that sealed off your record so your boss doesn't have any chance of coming across this. Why were you arrested downtown Los Angeles on the day after Kavanaugh was confirmed? Well, boss. Uh, but so they, it, it creates a path for sealing of... Uh, records that didn't result or arrest records if there's no conviction.
0: Yeah. And this, this is also one like, you know, banning the box that, you know, have you ever been convicted of a felony question here in California? That got a lot of traction. Uh, I recently realized or learned from talking to folks who own businesses in Arizona, you can ask there if somebody's ever been arrested. So yeah. like across the nation, we see just being arrested, whether you're convicted or not, can be held against you.
1: Right. And that's uh, very frequently used as a proxy for other forms of discrimination I was actually listening to the no Olympics podcast earlier and uh, I think it, Anne mentioned that the uh, Olympics Committee had access to laPD's records and was using uh, even arrests without convictions or charges as basis for denying people employment which I mean,
0: if, yeah for like contractors and people who are
1: working as volunteers and stuff it, even. exactly yeah so it's a it, you know that's how that that plays out so a lot of that'd be good for a lot of folks if you've been acquitted, at trial, or if a case was dismissed against you, go get your arrest record sealed.
0: And it, just for for those of us who may not know, when something's sealed, that means it's like gone and buried forever. It's only findable if you've got special circumstances. Like, what does it mean if I get my arrest record
1: sealed? Usually in California, it most forms of sealing means that you only have to disclose it if you're trying to become a, a police officer or run for office. Uh, that's the usual standard, though this might be a little different because there's no actual conviction involved, so I'd have to check the text. Okay. But
0: that that should make things easier for people who do catch an arrest or may get picked up on something and want that off their record because it was something dumb or the cop may have arrested them, like, without cause. Like, there's a whole bunch of reasons yeah. that somebody could get an arrest but not get a conviction.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have had a client... Uh, about a year ago, who had an arrest for murder on his record. He was never charged with murder. It was a mistaken identity thing. They figured out that it wasn't him and released him after a a couple days but he still had on his record, oh, he'd been arrested for murder. And so anytime a cop pulled him over, it shows a murder arrest, even though he hadn't done anything wrong. A- and even potential employers could find that, I assume. Uh, potentially, depends how thorough their background check procedures are. Mm. You know, but so, yeah, you can definitely so being see... able to get that sealed would be pretty useful.
0: Well, and also, like <laughs> having having gotten pulled over myself in a felony stop because cops like thought that I was trying to hide from them when my friend dropped my lighter and I ducked down to get it. And... Uh, It's, you know, cops are already coming at you with itchy trigger fingers, so, like, the fact that you could have something, like, and wrongful arrest labeling you as a murderer to a guy with a gun, like, that's super scary for a lot of citizens and a lot of people in in Los Angeles.
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So, let's move on to AB 1810. Okay. This is an interesting one. Uh, This is a law that was also virulently opposed by the DAs and the sheriffs, but it's actually totally fantastic and reasonable and justifiable. Uh, What it creates is it creates the possibility of diversion for crimes, which by diversion, I mean, you know, a process of treatment without somebody taking a plea or anything like that to get the case dismissed for uh, people with mental health conditions. Mm. And this is actually very broad and sweeping and allows a judge to do it without the consent of the prosecution. Okay. So if somebody has a diagnosis of a mental illness um, and is... You know, willing to uh, accept treatment, a lot of cases can be dismissed. And actually, it pretty much right now the way it's written, uh, anything can be dismissed in this manner. They're amending it shortly to uh, actually. They realized actually maybe we should keep murder on there. So, so um, the murder and manslaughter and sex offenses are things that a person would still would not be eligible for this program with, but. Uh, For everybody else, you know, there's a lot of possibility for people who are exhibiting mental health problems to get diverted into treatment instead of into the, the criminal system, which is huge because obviously we're talking about like L.A. County Jail is one of the largest mental health facilities in the country. It's I think if it's not the largest, it's second only to Cook County. Lee, Lee Baca used to say it was the largest, and I think it is,
0: like, number of people. I know they've, with realignment, the numbers in L.A. County jails have come down a little bit, but we're still jailing
1: thousands more people than pretty much anywhere yeah. in in the country. It's, I think it's neck and neck with uh, Cook County. Okay. So, um, But yeah, the, so as a result, you know, a lot of people with mental health conditions find themselves getting into the criminal justice system and getting cycled through again and again. Uh, And so, this is a really valuable opportunity to give a judge the chance to kind of break that cycle and say, no, like, stop this. Let's take a different approach. Uh, So it's potentially huge.
0: Yeah. And also, like, going into jail is not going to be good for your mental health. Um, You don't necessarily have access to the medications that you want or need. It's, you know, you're in jail. You're never going to be comfortable. Like, there's a lot of reasons why, like, jailing people with mental health problems is not making them better.
1: I mean, jailing people in general is a good way to give them mental health problems. L.A. County Jail is <laughs> this a... This rem- is true. L.A. County Jail is an extremely traumatic place. It's, yeah. you know, prison is an extremely traumatic place. And so a lot of these, that's part of the reason these things create this uh, ridiculous cycle. I mean, that's why we need to get away from the practice of putting people in cages entirely.
0: Yeah. 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 All right. So, uh, n- next one, uh, SB10. Now, this is a super hot-button
1: issue. Okay, uh, let's talk yeah. about SB10.
0: started about wanting to reform and do away with cash bail, ended up giving us a new data-driven algorithmic jailing system, which is pretty
1: scary when it comes down to it. Right. It's, so, SB10 was originally written to abolish cash bail, which is good. Cash bail is a barbaric system under which poor people are kept in cages and rich people are allowed to walk around and do whatever the hell they want. Um, But the original, the way it was originally written was to really privilege the idea of releasing people unless there was a specific need to, you know, hold on to someone because they were either going to try to flee or they were an immediate threat to their, the people around them. Uh, The way they've, what happened was at the 11th hour they dumped a bunch of amendments on this between the time it came out of committee and got to the floor. So this resulted in, you know, I think L.A. can was the folks who tipped us off to this originally. Um, And then uh, Jeff Adachi at the San Francisco Public Defender's Office got an op-ed off really fast. All of a sudden, this bill that was designed to end cash bail and set people free turned into a bill that seemed to be offering new and more bizarre ways to keep them locked up that might even lead to more people being detained uh, than under a cash bail system. So all of a sudden, you know, and it, it was a very bizarre watching this process play out. People, these people were voting on something that they knew nothing about.
0: Well, I was going to say, I watched the, the cycle. So it came out of committee and it got immediately amended and went through the Senate. It went to the Assembly and was again heavily amended before it was voted on at the Assembly and had to go back to the Senate where they finally reconciled the bills. But like both of those votes, they were basically
1: not voting on anything near what came out of committee. Like it was a completely different bill both times. Yeah. I mean, that was part of what was like confusing the shit out of the committee was that everybody's calling about this thing and it hasn't changed yet in their hands. They're in committee about to vote on this thing. Everybody's saying you have to vote this down because they're amending it. And it hasn't been amended yet. And so they're like, what the hell is going on? And so uh, and so this like hoodwinked a lot of people who are criminal justice reformers and people who want the system to change, people who backed SB 1421 and Mm -hmm. so forth. Because of this, like eleventh-hour switch.
0: Yeah, even the ACLU was caught a little bit flat-footed. Where it yeah. took about three days after the announcement of the changes for them to come out and say, "Oh no, we don't like sb 10 Because, like, I was getting texts from them being like, "Support sb 10 I was like, "Are y'all reading the bill?" Because it's yeah. changed.
1: Yeah, I mean, the and it is interesting to see how um, how rapidly certain networks responded to this uh, this change and how slow some conventional ones yeah. uh, worked. You know. One of the interesting things about like, the function of social media in this political climate is actually, you know, th- th- things can spread very fast through, among networks of activists. So now you have this weird situation with SB-10, Yeah, let,
0: let's talk about what it's like. like. Let's say I go in and I get arrested, and what's it going to look like for me now determining whether I get bail, or I'm cooling my heels for a while, or what, well, what's happening?
1: Well, it's, incredible, it's going to be incredibly complicated because there are going to be like algorithmic risk assessments based upon your criminal history and certain other factors. And then there will be a question of what you were arrested for and you might be held till arraignment or released at arraignment or given the judge might have an option or you might be put in a lower category and released automatically. And it's just all all of this algorithmic nonsense that is as always a substitute for you know more explicit forms of racism right the person with multiple if a person has multiple bench warrants they're more likely to be held who has multiple bench warrants usually uh homeless people right people with mental illnesses people who are subject to increased criminalization people of color right you're more likely to have more bench warrants if you've been arrested multiple times for bullshit and you're more likely to have bench warrants if you're poor and have trouble getting to court than you are if you are rich and a lawyer walks in for you right so you know all of these things just replicate the same systems in new and dumber ways right and and this was something that was a big concern that folks had with the original sb10 um, but the way that it was originally written at least biased it so heavily towards release that people felt like okay these algorithms are bad but we can work with them and it's going to lead to more people out of jail. Do do we know what makes up or constitutes these algorithms or where
0: they're getting their data from entirely?
1: No. I mean, it's going to be a process of the generating them and it's going to be a uh, it's going to be extremely bizarre. So, there are yeah, it, it, it's it's going to be a real mess if this goes into effect.
0: And, and these algorithms are going to be written by private companies, primarily, like licensed to the city. Um, I mean, they're also the ones, like Palantir, the ones who maintain our databases and, like, help LAPD create their algorithms to collect information.
1: Right. And then other things are going to be changed by specific county ordinances relating to various offenses. It's going to get really messy really fast. Now, the thing about this, of course, is that there is... Now, the the bail industry, which obviously sees this as an existential threat to it, which it is, um, I guess, is now in kind of the weird position of aligning with uh, the reformers, because while they while the reformers wanted to get rid of cash bail, they didn't want to get rid of it this way. Yeah. So the bail bonds industry is pushing to get this to get SB 10 put on the ballot, yeah. which would delay implementation for. Till the November 2020 elections, possibly, and would also give us a chance to really do some work around either reforming it or getting it thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, that's a, you know, politics makes strange bedfellows, right? The day after SB 10 passed, a friend sent me the contact info for, you know, did an e-introduction to somebody who's a bail bonds lobbyist, right? And who normally, we're obviously on opposite sides of the, the, the playing field, but on this one I- weird issue, we're suddenly seeing, you know, our interests sort of coincide. Yeah. So it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a weird couple months. Well, and and, and not just here in California. Like I had a couple of folks uh, from like
0: Arkansas and Mississippi bail bonds people retweeting my SB ten criticism, uh, and I had to make sure to ju- jump onto their timeline and be like, "Yo, bail's dumb. We're not protecting bail, yeah. but SB ten is broken." And they're like, "No, bail is a way to like make people more responsible and make jail service people and make sure that they stick to their, you
1: know, all you've heard." The yeah, BS yeah, lines. I've 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 heard all their nonsense. Um, and the, the the funny thing about it is that this is you know for this is an existential threat to the bail bonds industry nationally eventually yeah because California
0: um, sets the standard
1: right California you know Kendall's always fond of saying like I'm here from the future like California especially in these sort of fields like is where a lot of things get tested so uh, if the Calif- if California abolishes cash bail other places will be looking to see how it works out mm-hmm. and if it um, and so that's, like, one of the one of the real dangers here is the possibility that SB10-style algorithmic analysis could proliferate across the entire fucking country. So people really have to, you know, take a very careful look at this and see what we can do to either reform SB10 or to, to stop it.
0: OK. OK. And uh, do, are you anticipating this making your life easier, harder? What do you think it's going to do for you
1: and your clients? It's going to be a massive fucking headache. Okay. It, you know, every single... Uh, it could potentially lead to a situation where there are constant and very very complex uh, litigation over almost every decision to hold somebody. You know, SB10 does have in its, you know, they did write it, so it has has to be constitutional to hold the person. What the fuck does that mean? Right? That's going to, so uh, it's inserting these constitutional questions of of the right to you know like bail is mentioned in the constitution right the idea is supposed to be that people are released so it's it's just going to get so ugly so fast okay all right so uh moving on uh sb
0: 1391 and sb 439
1: okay so we passed a couple laws that are incredibly uh useful for the juvenile delinquency system uh so this is i've been working in juvenile court recently and Uh, these are, there have been a number of reforms in the last like two years that have been huge. Um, so one of these bills they passed, uh, is prevents juvenile transfers for people under 16. Mm -hmm. What that means is that you can't send 14 or 15 year olds to adult court anymore. Mm. Um, and you can't, you can't, yeah, you can't pretend that 14 year olds are adults for purposes of sending them to prison. They have to be 16 or 17. but so that's a that's a huge I've actually already seen a transfer get dismissed since this bill was passed because it was charging a 15 year old and they oh, couldn't cool. do it anymore. Uh, you know, in the last couple of years, there was also Prop 57 last year, I believe it was last year. Uh, no, two years ago that uh, also changed the standards for transfers. And it was a huge deal because before a prosecutor could just say, oh, fuck this kid. This is a serious offense. I'm charging him as an adult. And then Prop 57 changed the whole process, so they had to send, file it in juvenile court and convince a judge to send it to adult court and changed the standards completely so that it was much harder mm-hmm. for them to send it to adult court. You know, and so it's, I think it's a really important for just restoring the basic function of the juvenile justice system as somewhere that's supposed to be rehabilitated.
0: Yeah. And especially in an age when we have, like, enough scientific evidence that we know that a juvenile's brain is substantively different than an adult brain, like, yeah. it just makes
1: a lot of sense to, like, follow the science on that. Right. It's So that process, you know, a, a lot of that science is what got those bills through. So it's a, a big, uh, big victory for uh, for people trying to protect children from prison. I mean, you know, the, uh, the other law that was passed um, stops the filing of juvenile delinquency cases on people who are younger than 12, which, with certain exceptions, like rape and murder, I think. Is a, but, the you know, obviously it seems very bizarre that you would have a 10-year-old in juvenile court, but you can have a 10-year-old charged with a crime in juvenile court. Now, wow. obviously the demographics involved in these decisions to charge very young children are exactly what you would expect. You know, they are people who are poor, they are people who are non-white. I mean, I went, I went to a a private elementary school. You know, the people got in fist fights there and things like that. But no, you know, the cops are never called. The yeah. justice system is never involved. But if you're at a public school with a cop on duty, you know, things change very quickly, especially in this sort of zero tolerance age, right? Yeah. So the this is an important process just to. Certain people should not be in the fucking legal system. You should not be charging ten-year-olds with crimes. It doesn't make any fucking sense. They're children, yeah. right? So that's that was the, that was the other uh, other bill passed to the benefit of the of juveniles all over yeah. California.
0: No, uh, those oaths seem like rational like uh, reforms. It's kind of sad that it took this long and this many like people working this hard to get things that seem just like obvious.
1: Uh, in onto the books. Yeah, I mean, that's... that. Like I was saying, people f- think that California is liberal and so forth, but, you know, for a long time, California was very white and racist and, you know, remember, like, in the 70s and 80s, and there was a lot of backlash against, against desegregation, against people of color, and against yeah. uh, the sort of r- liberalizing reforms of the 70s. So y- you have... All these law and order laws that were put on the books in the late '60s and '70s, and in the drug war era, and they're all fucking nuts. Yeah. So, you know, so we're slowly returning to our sanity as far as California goes. Sort of. Let's let's move on to one of the
0: losses because California, as you mentioned, we have, um, you know, the the police transparency was basically non-existent here. A uh, police use of force standards has not changed since 1872. AB-931 tried to change that. It didn't end up passing. Right. Let's talk about that.
1: Okay, so that's that's kind of an interesting one, because that went through two two steps. First, it got super watered down by amendments, and then it didn't pass, because after it was watered down that much, I don't think anybody... What is the current standard for use of force for cops? The current standard for use of... For, basically, basically, the officer has to justify that they felt some sort of fear that they that it was necessary to use force to... Uh, stop somebody! Or well, I, I believe the language
0: is specifically affect and arrest. Like that's yeah. The, as long as you're trying to arrest someone, you have right. pretty free reign.
1: Yeah, they have very free. They have very free reign. Uh, it's very hard to hold them criminally liable. Um, though you know you you can do it if you've got some balls. Like they just convicted that officer in Chicago. But across the board, the standards are very lenient. Uh, AB nine thirty one was kind of weird because actually, as originally written. It would have It would have required officers to would have required officers to use de-escalation tactics and things like that before engaging, before using lethal force. Now, I think that's like morally right, but I understand why that didn't get traction because it actually might have made it a higher standard than an ordinary person would have in a oh, okay. situation. Because in California, California is a California is actually a stand your ground state. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's different than it is in Florida, because in Florida, the way they deploy the law kind of bars charges at all, and also is ex- it's exclusively used in Florida for the benefit of white people. Yeah. And if you're not white, you don't get the benefit of it. But but here in California, I can use it, like, as an affirmative
0: defense. Like, yeah, I shot the guy, but I
1: was within my rights. Well, right. It, well, it's technically not an affirmative defense. Uh, self Self-defense law in California is... Uh, is a something that the prosecution has to overcome. Mm. So basically, if you're able to assert a valid claim of self-defense, the prosecution has to prove that it was not valid. It was not reasonable. It was not a reasonable use of force. It was not genuine fear. Yeah. You know, things like that. Um, rather than it being some an affirmative defense. Mm, that's okay. super technical. Yeah. right. And it is um, it is technically a stand your ground state because the law says, you do not are not required to retreat, Mm. right? You can if you're if you have a valid claim of self-defense, then the fact that you didn't run away isn't or, you know, didn't retreat when you had an opportunity to is not does not overcome that valid claim of self-defense.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So if you have a situation where they're putting a sort of particular requirement that police officers engage in certain sorts of nonviolent behavior before using lethal force, you can wind up with a situation where they're actually asking for a little more mm. than for anybody else. It was kind of weirdly written. And once the bill was watered down, then it really didn't have much of a chance to get out of out of there.
0: Were you happy with either version of the bill?
1: Uh, I would have liked it to have passed as originally written. I just didn't think it was going to. Mm, uh, OK. The, the thing, though, is that the process of uh, holding police accountable for violence is not just a legal question; right? mm. it is about political will, and it is about the independence or dependence of the prosecution. the The conviction of Officer Van Dyke in Chicago for killing Laquan McDonald was the result of really intense pressure by the public to and by activists working to get justice. You know, they they got rid of the the city attorney who refused to. Prosecute at first you know, yeah. they, they went through a process of exercising strong political will just to get this one conviction and changing the law around what is legal or not in an officer's use of force it does not uh does not get us to the point of actual accountability what's still required is the will of a prosecutor to press charges jackie Lacey, the district attorney of los angeles county does not press charges on cops, right? Even in this case where Chief Beck uh, recommended charges after an officer shot someone, she still didn't press charges. And so it's not a question of what the law says necessarily. It's a question of whether or not there's somebody who's willing to try to make the law do what it says. Okay. Right. So what, you know, what would be an actual reform that could lead to more police accountability? Well, things like SB 1421 are important because Things like SB 1421 are important. When you have that transparency, when you have that access to records, that helps create public pressure, right? With the new reforms that have been passed, videos of police shootings are going to be coming out a lot faster in California, right? Rather than coming out a year later, it's going to be coming out after 45 days and something like that, 60 days. So the ability for the public to exert pressure will increase, right? You also would, what what else would you want? You'd want some sort of possibly independent prosecutorial body. Maybe there should be a state-level prosecution office that specifically deals with police misconduct. Yeah, That's just necessary to get rid of the uh, the conflict of interest inherent in a district attorney's office prosecuting the police. Mm-hmm. The district attorney's office and the police department have to work together every day. Mm-hmm. And it, there isn't necessarily going to be political... Oftentimes, the district attorney's office sees themselves as part of the police apparatus, which is really funny because then they start acting all like like big shot cops, tough guys, and it's always really embarrassing. Um, if there if there's that relationship, and there necessarily has to be that relationship, because that's who's doing the investigation for you, then the desire and the ability to prosecute when something does go wrong is just isn't there. There's an impulse to protect them because yeah. they're part of your team. If you have an independent prosecutorial body, then you can have some actual commitment to getting things taken care of in a way that doesn't exist in a normal DA's office. Really, cops are prosecuted most often when they're abandoned by the rest of the department. Mm -hmm. If the department's backing them up, a lot of time DA's offices won't go after them. And we've obviously seen in LA, you have 400 people killed by the cops during Jackie Lacey's term and no prosecutions. Mm -hmm. So, we, uh, that sort of independence is the sort of thing that's actually going to get things, get traction there, not just, uh, Changing the definitions of what is unreasonable use of force, though that's Im- important, it doesn't get us out of the the hole we're in. Mm-hmm.
0: So to wrap this up, uh, end of the year, kind of looking back, do you feel like these reforms are moving towards a more just, fair, equitable criminal legal system? Um, just you know, teaspoons bailing
1: out the ocean. Like, how do you feel? I mean, the, the the ultimate goal has to be moving away from putting people in cages. The ultimate goal has to be not just. Uh, reforming but abolishing the prison system. Uh, But what it clearly demonstrates is that there is broad recognition that something's gone completely fucking wrong and there is a broad commitment to do something about it. Something like SB 1421 couldn't have gotten past 10 years ago, right? The the amount of cultural change that has been brought about by movements like Black Lives Matter uh, has been enormous in making people appreciate and uh, s- sort of desire change in the criminal system. And so while there were some things that were really fucked up, like the way that SB10 got transformed, um, the the fact that SB10 was able to get passed in its transformed state was actually a result of the desire to fix things. Right? People thought they were voting for something that was better than it was, but they still had the desire to you know, they had the political will to abolish cash bail, right? They had the political will to open police records. So even though that doesn't, you know, not everything's fixed, and obviously we're still living in geo hell and everything's terrible all the time. uh, I am hopeful that the will will continue to build that as California, I think, well, California is only going to continue to get further left uh, in this current political climate. And uh, as it does so, you know, these reforms can be built on Mm -hmm. and we can start taking some really radical actions Uh, i honestly i think that the mental health diversion is possibly the the most promising Mm. because that offers like a really discreet way forward of saying like okay this might be a criminal charge but let's stop all of the processes that we'd normally associate with that stop the jail process stop the trial process stop the process of conviction or seeking conviction and look to Getting a person treatment and out of this system. So if people are willing to continue in this direction, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of good possibilities.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sitting down with us, Ace, and uh, best of luck to you and your your future uh, defenses and keeping people out of jail. <laughs> um, it doesn't seem like your job's getting any easier necessarily anytime soon, uh, but you're super committed.
1: It's an adventure.
0: Yeah. Anyways, thank you much. Thank you.